It's Tuesday, February 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Coronavirus continues to spread and hit new milestones. The virus has now killed more people than SARS, with a death toll of over 900 and over 40,000 infected in mainland China. Also in the mix is the Diamond Princess cruise ship that has been quarantined in Japan. They just confirmed 65 more cases, with at least 20 of them being Americans, and a total of at least 135 cases on board. Morgan Hines, reporter at USA Today, joins us for how the cruise ship is handling the coronavirus. Next, as the Democratic candidates head to New Hampshire for the primary, we talk a little bit about the direction that the party is headed. The nomination is far from decided, and the party has two ways to go a more moderate pick, or more progressive. Bernie Sanders, more than any other 2020 candidate, has shaped a lot of the policy agenda for the Democrats with things like Medicare for All, and he has campaign rallies full of enthusiastic supporters, very similar to President Trump. Michael Cruz, senior staff writer at Politico, joins us to ask the question, is the Democratic Party Bernie Sanders' party now? It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We have nothing but huge sympathy for the people who are in that situation now on quarantine because that's that's quite quite close quarters. My wife said, uh, or to someone else, she said, "Imagine being trapped in your bathroom," and that would give you kind of an idea of that. Joining us now is Morgan Hines, reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Morgan. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. We're going to be continuing this conversation on the coronavirus. The outbreak now has killed more people than SARS. The number of fatalities has gone over 900. And just for reference, when SARS was going around in the early 2000s, that killed about 774 people. And they just had a single high rate of 97 deaths in one day. The numbers are going crazy and it's changing Every day, there's new numbers of cases. I think it's over 40,000 in mainland China. So the coronavirus continues to spread. And one of the interesting angles that has popped up about this are there's been a few cruise ships that have been quarantined or denied entry to ports because of fears that people might have coronavirus there. One in particular seems to be this Diamond Princess cruise that is in Japan right now. And the numbers keep going up there as well. Morgan, tell us a little bit about this Diamond Princess cruise. So Princess Cruises has a ship called Diamond Princess, and it's currently quarantined off the coast of Japan. And they have been providing us with updates over the last several days of cases of confirmed coronavirus. And the ship, which was originally carrying 2,666 guests and 1,045 crew members on board when it set sail on January 20th has now had at least 135 confirmed cases, and at least 20 of those are Americans. The ship is under quarantine until February 19th, pending any unforeseen circumstances, and it's definitely just a developing situation. Yeah, I mean, it's so tough. For a long time, you'd always hear cruise ships going out and then a bunch of people getting sick with norovirus. So that was kind of the big worry before. And unfortunately for these ships, they were out setting sail or attempting to leave just as the coronavirus was increasing in transmission, the uptick of it. And it just seemed like an unfortunate time, really. Obviously, no no fault of anybody. They were just out and about in the areas when it was happening. And one of the interesting things is 
how these people are spending their time because they're quarantined. They're allowed out onto the deck in like shifts. Not everybody can be out at the same time. And they're asking people to stay like three feet away from each other at all times so that there's like no transmission. You guys were able to speak to a passenger. His name is Matthew Smith. How has he said that it's been going on there? Matthew Smith is an attorney from Sacramento, California, and we've spoken to him a couple times throughout the quarantine. One of our reporters talked to him on Friday, and he mentioned a little bit about what was going on to him. He said that he and his travel companion, Catherine Kodekas, are both feeling fine, and they're kind of lucky because they have a suite with a balcony, which allows them to go outside and get fresh air. And they have a view of the harbor, which they're trying to remain positive. But while the situation is inconvenient, they're comfortable. They've been receiving food from the crew. And Matthew has actually been tweeting out a lot of pictures of that and keeping people updated. I talked to him again this morning. And it was, I think when I talked to him, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning there. And there had been around 66 more cases confirmed that I received an update about overnight. So I asked how he was doing. And he told me that they're still doing fine. They had a moment of worry when they started hearing about more confirmed cases. And as for the rest of the ship, I was curious to see kind of what people were feeling, hearing about more cases and things like that and being stuck in their cabins. And he said that as far as the atmosphere, it's kind of hard to tell because they have been so isolated. He told me that it's almost like they're alone on the ship apart from the crew members that are bringing food and occasional things. And once in a while, they'll hear an occasional voice from a nearby balcony. What has the cruise line said about what's going to happen after they leave. I know that they're going to refund them what they paid for the cruise and airfare. They're going to do a lot of refunding for the guests there. Like you said, all guests are set to receive a full refund for the cruise, and that includes airfare, hotel, ground transportation, any prepaid shore excursions, gratuities, and everything else. Um, Any incidental charges that would have incurred during the time that was added on board is also going to be negated. That They mentioned that in a statement on Sunday. And Princess Cruises is also going to provide guests with a future cruise credit equal to the cost of the cruise, which was scheduled to end originally on February 4th. As far as gratuities go, while those are going to be refunded to all the guests, Princess Cruises is going to make sure that each crew member is going to receive their designated gratuities for the work that they've performed. And that's not unique. There are other lines that have been having coronavirus scares or have been turned away from ports or situations like that. And they are going to be working on ways to refund too. As far as we know right now, there could be a few more, but there's like four main cruise ships that have been trapped by the coronavirus. We've been talking about Diamond Princess. There's also the uh, Westerdam, which is with uh, Holland America. There's World Dream and Anthem of the Seas. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people that are kind of stuck right now on these ships and they're slow to move around. I know one of them in particular was denied entry. That's the Westerdam ship was denied entry to Japan. That was their final destination. They're going to Thailand now. And yeah, and you're right. All of these cruise lines have to scramble to provide refunds and travel arrangements to get them somewhere else because they're being delayed so much. So Holland America actually provided an update today as well. Their ship, MS Westerdam, is now being scheduled for disembarkation later this week. So the ship, like you said, is sailing to Thailand, and it's set to arrive in port on Thursday. From there, guests are going to continue on the routes home from Bangkok, and they'll be fully refunded. Like Princess Cruises is doing, all guests are going to be provided with a future cruise credit. But yes, the ship was denied entry to ports in Guam, the Philippines, and Japan. And there are no cases that they believe of coronavirus to be on board 
And one of their public relations directors told us in an email on Friday that they have no reason to believe that. Their next cruise has actually been canceled. It was scheduled to leave on the 15th, but further than that, they haven't canceled anything else yet. Yeah, and a lot of these things are just being done out of precaution. As you mentioned, some of these cruise ships didn't have any cases. In Japan, for example, they closed all the ports of entry to cruise ships. So a lot of this is done out of an abundance of caution. But man, uh, just for the people kind of stuck on these cruise ships, it's a bummer when you're going out on vacation and then something like this crazy happens. So we'll have to keep seeing, uh, you know, as these things progress. Morgan Hines, reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. My friend, Mr. Buttigieg, and my friend, Joe Biden, they have dozens and dozens of billionaires contributing to their campaign. So don't tell me that contributions from billionaires don't matter. They shape the legislative agenda of what goes on in Washington. Joining us now is Michael Cruz, senior staff writer at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Sure thing. Good to be with you guys. We are headed into the New Hampshire primary. We went through the Iowa debacle, which was just a crazy state of affairs. In that case, Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders were at the top. But we're going to focus on Bernie Sanders for a moment because he's been this persistent figure in the Democratic Party, uh, sometimes at odds with the party. But we saw it when he was running in 2016 against Hillary for the nomination. Just anecdotally, I was there at the convention and there was so many more Bernie supporters there than there were for Hillary Clinton. There's just so much enthusiasm about the senator. And it kind of begs this big question, because when we talk about Democratic platforms, Medicare for all, that a lot of candidates were taking upon their own platforms. This is all kind of inspired by Bernie Sanders at some point. And one of the big question is, is the Democratic Party the Bernie Sanders party now? Michael, tell us a little bit about this. Bernie Sanders has been talking about things like Medicare for all, certainly national universal health care for going on 50 years. He has, as you alluded to, been at odds with the Democratic Party for decades, much more than he has been working in concert with the Democratic Party. It's remarkable at this point in this unwieldy primary process, his second time running for president, that he has, over the course of five years, really had a huge influence, a profound influence on how Democrats right now are running for president. He is in as good a position as any of the candidates, maybe a better position than any of the candidates to be the nominee. And no matter what happens on Tuesday in New Hampshire, no matter what happens in the coming weeks and months, he has ideologically not dictated, but certainly has had a huge influence on how Democrats are talking about policy proposals, how Democrats are running for president at this point. Definitely in the policy proposals, you see it all over the place. And even more evidence to that, you see it at the campaign rallies and the grassroots fundraising that he does. He touts it very often that uh, all the contributions they get are very low in dollar. I think it was $18 was the last number he was throwing out there, the average contribution, things like that. And you've been to some of the rallies also where there is that electric feel that, I mean, sometimes you just don't get it with other candidates. You know, you sometimes you see like a Joe Biden event and it doesn't seem like there's that much excitement there. And this is the primaries right now. Things will change once it's a general election. But tell us how that reaction has been. 
lots of people, understandably so, around the country are just kind of tuning into this process for the most part. But it's been going on for a year plus, to say the least, probably longer than that, depending on how you want to start the clock. But I've been out and about all over the country going to rallies and town halls from Iowa to New Hampshire to South Carolina, et cetera. And as you say, there is a conspicuous difference. This is just the statement of fact that, generally speaking, Bernie Sanders events are much better attended and much more energetic than certainly Joe Biden's events. But many of the other candidates, too, you know, there was a moment in Iowa toward the end of 2019 when Pete Buttigieg started to draw eye-openingly large crowds. He's still doing that in New Hampshire Those are the two. I mean, to the extent that what we saw in Iowa reflected what we political observers have been seeing for months on the ground, it was a pretty accurate representation in some sense in my eyes. The two people who have consistently have drawn the biggest, most energetic crowds, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. Even that said, though, a Sanders crowd feels a little bit different than a Buttigieg crowd. A Sanders crowd is younger. A Sanders crowd is a little louder, a little bit more charged up. The level of commitment and devotion to Bernie Sanders, I think, to me, has felt closer to a Trump rally than to an event held by any other Democrat. Obviously, there's a huge difference between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. There's a huge difference between a Trump rally and a Sanders rally. But it is closer a Sanders rally to a Trump rally than to, say, a Biden town hall or a Klobuchar town hall, et cetera. The level of commitment, the feeling of fanhood almost more than a citizen looking to make a political decision, who should I vote for? There is a level of fanhood that is just tangible when you go to see Bernie Sanders. Well, and it goes in part with some of the things that Bernie talks about. You know, he's calling for a quote unquote revolution. You know, he said that many times and people that are joining a revolution have that type of fandom associated with it. We're talking about the policies that he's kind of inspired and and things like that. But even the next generation of lawmakers have also been inspired by him and endorse him. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes to mind. I think she's stepped in at some of his rallies to be a surrogate and whatnot. And she drives that same type of enthusiasm a lot of times. But again, kind of in that same model of a Bernie Sanders. Something I've heard out on the trail at Sanders events from young people in particular is for them the importance of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and some of the other so-called squad members, other young women of color in Congress who have endorsed Bernie Sanders very much on the Sanders train. For those people, in particular the young people who are enthusiastic supporters of Sanders, their presence is evidence that this is not just a one-man show. This is not something that is going to end when Bernie Sanders, who is turning 79 later this year after all, is no longer with us, that it can continue, that there is this movement afoot, and that in the person of AOC, who could be Bernie Sanders' granddaughter, there is a long, long runway that Sanders supporters certainly see. I think the question, of course, and it is an open act of question that is unresolved to me, is whether or not Bernie Sanders can win in this primary or can win in a general election and whether or not somebody like AOC or the other squad members could win elsewhere in the country beyond their districts, whether there is truly a broad coast-to-coast appeal for their movement politics for their quote-unquote revolution, as opposed to sort of the unifier candidate like a Pete Buttigieg or even an Amy Klobuchar or even a Joe Biden. 
And then uh, obviously is the big question. That's what we're going through right now. The Democratic Party has been kind of lost since President Barack Obama left. There has no been clear leader but Bernie Sanders, as we've been mentioning, keeps popping up, you know, throughout his career has always kind of been a disruptor in that sense. But could he beat President Trump in the election? Bernie Sanders is a Democratic Socialist by his own naming, calls himself that. And President Trump constantly rails against socialism. He did it at the State of the Union. You know, socialism will never ruin healthcare or whatever, however he said it. And that's going to be something really tough to beat down when there is a large majority of the country that really does like President Trump. They do feel benefits from his administration, whether economically or just in the policies that he's put out there. And that's going to be a tough sell for that half of the country. On the one hand, it's hard to see Bernie Sanders beating Donald Trump. On the other hand, it was hard to see Donald Trump becoming president in the first place. And so I think anybody who makes a statement with such certitude that surely Bernie Sanders couldn't win in a general election just shouldn't or can't, because <laughs> to some extent, the rules of politics have been shattered <laughs> by Trump. And who the heck knows? You know, one of the things I tried to point out in this piece is that there is a track record if you are familiar with or take the time to even learn in some cursory way the long, long arc history of Bernie Sanders. There's a track record of winning when he wasn't supposed to and of winning in a particular way, which is to say at the expense of the Democratic Party. He wanted to become mayor of Burlington, Vermont by beating a Democrat and then maintained that office by essentially forcing the Democrats in that city of 40,000 or so. It's a submission. Beat them and beat them down. And then he did it statewide to become a member of Congress. It took some luck. It took some timing. Nothing that he did was guaranteed to work, but it did work. It worked in Burlington, where he won and won and won and won. And it worked in Vermont statewide, where he lost in 86 running for governor. He lost in 88 running for Congress. But Finally, <laughs> so the, the insistent and persistent Bernie Sanders won in right. 1990, and he has not lost since. And he did that at the expense of the Democratic Party, basically made it so that Democratic voters in Vermont needed to vote for him or a Republican would get elected or reelected. So in this very sort of persistent way, in this kind of tactical electoral math sort of way, Bernie Sanders made himself, in essence, the de facto Democrat in every race he runs in Vermont. Could he do that nationally? I don't know. That is the question that nobody knows for sure. But right. there is, in some sense, a blueprint for what he is attempting to do here and what he's been attempting to do, frankly, since the middle of 2015 when he announced his first run for president. There is an interesting quote that you put of Bernie in there. The concept of burnout is a neurosis of our time. And he definitely is not burnt out. He's always out there. I mean, he had a heart attack and he's still back out there and still inspiring yeah. a lot of people. So, yeah, can he make it all the way into the general? Can he beat President Trump? We don't know that. But he is definitely a very interesting figure in politics and in the Democratic politics as well, because this is where he plays. This is where he runs. So, yeah, it's just going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out for him. Michael Cruz, senior staff writer at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.